Christians have a hard time uh, agreeing on a number of things. It, it, there's probably one area, though, that they probably disagree on more than any other area in the Scriptures, and that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. So, Jesus came the first time. We know all about that. We celebrate it every Christmas. We call that the Incarnation. That's the first coming. But then Jesus said in the text we're going to look at and in the New Testament, I'm going to come again. We call that the second coming. But we have now, as Christians, we have all these terms. We, people say, are you pre-trib? Are you mid-trib? Are you pre-wrath? Are you post-trib? Are you uh, um, pre-mill? Are you ah-mill? Are you post-mill? And some of you are going, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> But we're all, we have all these different views of the end times. And recently, even the free church decided that this, this statement they have, um, and by the way, I think the free church doctrinal statement is one of the best in the world. Um, but they decided to just uh, change one part of the end time statement so it would be more inclusive uh, of different positions. The doctrine of the second coming is an important part of the biblical teaching of Scripture, no doubt about it. Uh, look at our Apostles' Creed, says, He will come to judge the living and the dead. So it's in our Apostles' Creed. Over 300 times in Scriptures, the end times are talked about. Jesus has, did a lot of teaching on the end times. But the Bible requires us to, to hold convictions about many important things, but there are other things that we're to hold on a little more loosely to, and the end times is one of those areas where we need to be very tentative about our beliefs and have humility and not be dividing over the end times. We don't hold those views of the end times the same way we would hold of the gospel or of Jesus or the scriptures. Those are non-negotiables. And so it's important for us to do that. But the basic teaching of the Bible is very clear, and all Christians agree on this, that Jesus Christ will visibly and personal, personally return to the earth at the end of time and judge the whole world. There's no, there's no disagreement on that. The disagreement comes in when, when and how and what does it look like. So how you view the end times is, is important because it will... It will, you'll either be optimistic or pessimistic about the world. What is happening, what is going to happen, what is, you know, what is going on in your life right now. And it's going to affect how you use your time, your talent, your treasure. And the scripture has a lot to say about how we are to spend our time, our talent, and our treasure. So we're in Mark 13. If you want to turn to Mark 13, go ahead. The whole chapter in Mark is dedicated to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now what's interesting about Mark 13 is at the same time, Mark and Jesus essentially is what is, we're, we're looking at. Jesus is talking about a second coming. We're going to see that a portion of Jesus' prediction of the second coming or his words about the second coming have already been fulfilled. And it's very interesting. We're going to look at that. But in Mark 13, uh, Jesus des describes a day that's coming very soon that, will, that was predicted. And uh, he's going to talk about, I believe, a, a big part of what Jesus is talking about in the passage we're going to look at is the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of, Jeru uh, of the temple. Um, 
One of the things that Jesus says uh, as we look at this passage, as we look at the New Testament, is that the, new, the temple was an incredible, an incredible building. And the, the length, uh, let, let me, this, this is from Josephus. Let me read this to you. Josephus tells us that each stone was approximately 35 feet long, 12 feet high, and 18 feet long. Now, Jesus, when, when he says, and we're going to read it in a minute, he says, not one stone will be standing upon the other. Can you imagine? I mean, you would need heavy equipment to move those stones. And we're told that at the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and at the destruction of the temple, not one stone was left on top of another. And the prophecy of Jesus was fulfilled, I believe, in, 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 a, in a big part in A.D. 70 when the Roman army, uh, led by Titus, destroyed Jerusalem and he destroyed the temple, leaving not one stone upon another. The sacking of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple uh, was a terrible time, and it was a foreshadowing. So here's, what I, here's how I take, and I'll just kind of let the cat out of the bag. The way I look at what Jesus is saying, and we'll look at this passage in a minute, what Jesus is, I'll tell you what Jesus, I think Jesus is saying, and then we'll read what Jesus says, and then we'll go back and we'll look at it. What I think Jesus is saying is that the coming of the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, will happen in the lifetimes of those that he was speaking to. And he also says, not only is that true, but he says it's a foreshadowing of another destruction that's coming. So it's a picture of that. Now, I want you to read a portion. This is another portion from Josephus, who was a Jewish historian. And he gives us kind of a picture of what, because you think about what was it like in A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was sacked, when the temple was leveled, what was it like? Well, Josephus is an eyewitness, and he tells us. Let me read you what Josephus says. No pity was shown on account of age or out of respect for one's dignity. Children, elderly, lay people and priests, all alike were slain. The battle surged ahead and surrounded everybody, including both those who begged for mercy and those who resisted. The flames spread out to a great distance, and its noise mixed with the groans of the perishing. And such was the height of the ridge and the magnitude of the burning that one would have imagined the whole city was aflame. Can you imagine what it must have been like? In AD 70, when Titus comes in, he sacks the city and destroys the temple fulfilling Jesus' words. Well, let's look at that passage. Uh, we're going to start at verse 24 of Mark chapter uh, 13. Let me read it to you, and then we'll talk about it. And then think of this in context of the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, but also a foreshadowing of another day that's going to come, another day of judgment. Let's see what it says. But in those days... Following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels, gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth and the ends of heaven. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. 
As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, and this is a key phrase. Theologians have argued over this phrase. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You you do not know when that time will come. It is like a man going away. He leaves his house, and he puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. And he tells the one at the door, keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So Jesus is essentially saying in the first part of chapter 13, the temple's going to be destroyed. There's going to be no need for a temple moving forward. And we're going to talk about that. If you have, and, and I would encourage you to do this, just pull out your, your, uh, your notes. And in the middle of your notes is our life group study guide. We have life groups. These are small groups that meet on every weekend. And I want you to just look on the left-hand side of the page. And I want to just, just quickly show you something very interesting. Look at what it says here under digging deeper. We see first the tabernacle, Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. That's in the wilderness, Moses, we had the tabernacle. Then under David, we have the temple was built. That's 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 11. Then we have Jesus, the presence of God on earth. The word became flesh and made his, it says in in the NIV, made his dwelling among us. The word there is tabernacled among us. God tabernacled in human flesh among us. And then, as you go to 1 Corinthians, notice the temple is us. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? So you see how Jesus now is saying in uh, the Mark chapter, he's saying the temple's going to be destroyed, but there's no need for a temple because you are going to be the temple. We don't have time to go into that, but I want, to, want you to see how the tabernacle became the temple and then Jesus tabernacled and now we are the temple. That's the theology of the temple. It's very dynamic today. It's us. But I want to, so essentially what Jesus is saying in Mark 13, the verse, first pass part of it is the temple's going to be destroyed, but there's no need for a temple. Now, what difference does the second coming make for our lives? Now, if, you, if you're here this weekend or listening in online or at the, one of the campuses and you're thinking, well, I thought you were going to give me an outline or a, 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 like a blow-by-blow blow or a chart that I could follow so I know when Jesus is coming. No, sorry, I'm not. <laughs> but what I am going to do is what I think Jesus said. What was the last word that Jesus said in our passage we read? Watch. He didn't say plan. He said Watch. Uh, let's talk about that. What difference does the second coming of Jesus make in our lives? Number, three points, and here they are, and they're in your notes. There will be a new restoration and renewal of his creation. So the returning of Jesus Christ in the clouds with great glory means 
there will be an end to hunger and poverty. There's going to be an end of cruelty and justice. And there's going to be an end of disease and death. Jesus is going to come in his glory and he's going to set things right. He's going, to be, he's going to restore what was lost in the garden. What was lost in the garden? The very presence of God was in the garden with Adam and Eve. That was lost. And Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. And I think that's the problem with our world today. You say, well, what's the problem with our world today? The problem with our world today is we have evicted our creator from our world, from our, our nation, from our families, from our lives. We've said we don't want you here, just like Adam and Eve. And the earth has become like the dark side of the moon that doesn't receive the sun. And that's why you, you sometimes look at the world and look at the people around you and even look at your own family and your own life and you say, there's a darkness there. Where is it coming from? It's coming because we've not allowed the Creator to be there, but there's going to be a day where Jesus is going to come back in his glory. And when Jesus comes back bringing his glory, it says, and notice the passage, the Son of Man is coming in on the clouds with great power and glory, and he will set things right. Once and for all, things are going to be set right. That's the hope that we have. Now, if we understand and we embrace this truth, it should transform how we see our problems and how we view our society knowing that every day and everything that we do is, import, is, 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 is significant and important and uh, that, that it encourages us to be ready and to be busy until he comes. The second coming of Jesus, someone has said, is good news for people whose lives are filled with bad news. I don't know what happened to you this week. It may be that you got a lot of bad news or bad things happen. The second coming of Jesus is meant to be good news. Good news. But when we embrace the second coming of Jesus, we reject cynicism and laziness. We have work to do because we have this hope that is laid before us, and we have the, the notice that the master could return at any time. Have you ever worked for a company and, you, you know, the, the boss, the word has it, the boss could show up at any time in the next month? You go, okay, we got to clean this place up. We got to be ready in case he shows up. <laughs> That's the point. That's the point. Here's the second thing that the second coming of Jesus, what difference it makes. The readiness and righteousness of his faithful followers. The Bible clearly says no one knows the day or no one knows the time. In fact, maybe you caught this and you said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It says even Jesus doesn't know. Well, during the incarnation of Jesus Christ, he didn't know. He says, only the Father knows. I don't know. He does now, but he didn't then. He limited his knowledge when he took upon himself human flesh. Jesus, when he walked on this earth, didn't know when the second coming would be. Here's what we can be sure of. This is what we do know about the second coming. It's going to take place... And we can't predict when it will take place. And, you know, I think essentially Jesus says, I'm coming back, but I'm not, you, you're never going to know when. So can we stop trying to plan when he's going to come back? Why is it that every prophecy and every book that's written on prophecy has to predict when he's coming back, when Jesus said, that's not really the, 
the thing I want you to focus on? I'd love you to focus on the fact that I'm coming back and that you're ready. Every obedient follower of Jesus must be ready for his return and busy doing what he's called us to do. C.S. Lewis has a great quote. I want to read it to you because it gives us kind of a balance here. He says this. He says, precisely because we cannot predict the moment, we must be ready at all times. The sentry does not know at what time the enemy may attack. Or the sentry does not know the time an officer might inspect his post, so he must be awake at all times. Not that we should always be running around in fear that the end may happen at any moment. We should be like an 80-year-old man who needs, on the one hand, not to always be thinking about his approaching death, but he should also be taking it into account. It would be criminally foolish not to have him make his will and so on. In other words, be prepared, but don't be scared, right? Now, what will, the question I wonder about is, what will we be doing? What will I be doing? What will you be doing the moment that Jesus returns? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. What will you be saying? What will you be doing? Where will you be when the Lord returns? And our readiness is going to determine that, Right? Over and over, we're called to be ready, to be diligent. We are servants. The master has left us in charge, and one day he's going to return. Uh, And the question is, are we ready? So Mark gives one chapter to this. We We call a portion of this the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus shared about the end times. And in Matthew chapter 26, Matthew goes into many more details Uh, And it just goes to show you that Mark thought, okay, this is the emphasis that needs to go here through the, you know, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Matthew goes into a lot more details. In fact, you can, you can write this reference down. I want to read just a couple, uh, give you just a quick outline. So in Matthew 25, it's the same subject. It's the second coming of Jesus Christ, right? And so it's very interesting what Matthew does. In chapter 25, he tells three parables. And you've heard these parables, He tells first the parable of the ten virgins. The the parable of the ten virgins is verses 1 through 13. And essentially the parable of the ten virgins is this. Essentially this is the story. That there's a wedding going on. The bride and the groom are ready and they're going to come out. And in those days the wedding was was a social affair. It lasted for days. And so you would come out and they would parade around the town, and you were to greet them. You were to be ready for them when the bride and the groom came. You were, you know, hey, you know, and you had your lamp, and you were supposed to have your lamp ready and stuff. And so the parable goes that that uh, the 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 virgins, the ten virgins, had their lamps, and five had their lamps, and they had extra oil, and the others didn't have enough oil. And so the their lamps went out. And they had a run to get more oil. But the other ones who had the oil were ready. And they missed the bride and the groom. They missed the moment. And essentially Jesus said, don't miss the moment. Be ready. The second, oh, let me read you. And this is uh, what it says. This is uh, uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 13. It says, therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. I don't know how many times he could say that and we still don't get it. (laughs) then he tells another parable you've heard this one before it's the parable of the talents 
where he gives so many talents to one guy and so many talents and so many talents and so many talents. And then he goes away and he comes back. And he says, well, how did this servant do? Well, he doubled it. Oh, good, you know. And this one, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. And they come to the last servant. He buried it. He didn't do anything. And Jesus says, you wicked servant. He didn't say, well done. He said, you wicked servant. So this kind of gives this idea that we're supposed to be busy doing something while we wait for him, right? We're, we're to be investing, using our time, our talent, and our treasure for his glory and investing them, not holding them to ourselves, but giving them away. And, and I want to just say to you, as, as a follower of Jesus Christ, do you see the resources of time, talent, and money as something that is yours, or do you see that as something that belongs to him that has been gifted to you as a steward, and one day you're going to be held accountable for how you've used those resources. See, this is the part of studying the second coming of Jesus Christ that no one ever wants to talk about because we have to reflect on our lives and say, am I ready? If the Lord were to return today, would I be ready? Would I be smiling? Or would I say, can you give me about another five years? He tells one other parable he tells the parable, and this is the end of the chapter, of the sheep and the goats. And he says, he's going to separate, the master's going to come, and he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. He's going to put the sheep on the one side and the goats on the other. And you want to be a sheep at this day. You don't want to be a goat. And the sheep are like, he says, you know, you did this, you did this, you did this, and Lord, when did we do that? When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And then the goats get their judgment. So it's really important that we understand when Jesus says, be ready, he's not, he's not clowning around. This is serious business. And do you live your life with that expectancy that he could come back at any time? And would you be ready for that? Let me ask you a question. So, I know I keep referring back to the guide. There's a question in here for the life groups, and I, I would love to sit in these groups and listen to them answer this question. This, the, the, the getting started, it says, it, it, it's the end of the world. Jesus is going to return in a month. What do you do? <laughs> If you're like some students, you're going to wait until the day before to get your life in order. But how should Christians respond to apocalyptic times? How should we respond knowing that there's a, the, there's a second coming, that, is, that, is, that Jesus is coming back? Should we go and, and build a shelter and stockpile resources or should we hand them out to others? You know, some people say, well, we're not going to go through the tribulation. Really? What if we do? What if we do go through the tribulation? I know, I know, Nick Cage was in a movie, and some of his family got, you know, they got raptured, and 
Nick didn't. I know, he got left behind. I get that, and I know all the left behind books and all that. But what if you're in the middle of the, the, the tribulation? And you say, well, hopefully we'll, we'll get out halfway through. But what if you don't? What if you're at year four and you're still here? Because we were wrong. Do you hoard things to yourselves or do you share them with others? Do you avoid the sick or do you serve them? Do you run out of the building that's on fire or do you run in? What are we as Christians supposed to do? Are we supposed to have the same mentality? One of the things that turned the church, uh, the, the world upside down in uh, the early church was that they cared for the poor and the sick and the dying when no one else would. And the rest of the world said, what's wrong with you? You should be worried about yourself, not about these people. They're going to die. Even family members left their sick and dying on the side of the road, and it was the Christians that cared for them. And we have, we have, we have accounts of that. See, when we get down to talking about the second coming, we have to rethink everything. Is, is it the time where we build the shelter and we, we separate ourselves from the rest of the wicked world? Or is it the time we go into the world and say, this is it, this is our last chance. Let's, get, let's see how many people we can at least warn and be prepared. See, this is what we, we should be thinking about. This is the mentality we should have. We should be optimistic because we know that he's coming back. And, but there's a part where we go, I need to be ready. And I need to be diligent. And I can't be asleep. Jesus said, be awake. Don't be asleep. Here's the third point. Coming, the coming judgment and punishment of the living and the dead is at hand. So a couple, a couple thoughts here. Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead. All human history has cried out for justice. How many millions of people have been murdered, have been abused, have been tortured, and they cried out for that day of justice? And how many murderers, how many dictators, how many, you know, brutal uh, oppressors have gone off almost scoff-free. And in our world cries out, generations have cried out for years and years and years for justice. The wicked seem to have prospered, but they won't get away with it. Jesus is going to come one day and he's going to judge all of humanity. uh, John puts it this way in Revelation 20. He says, Then I saw a great white throne And him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the thrones, and the books were opened. It's judgment time. Judgment time is coming. Jesus is the only one who's qualified and and able to judge people. And the second coming of Jesus reminds us that a judgment day is coming. The cries of the oppressed, the blood of the martyrs will be answered and no one will escape that judgment. Even though it seems as though they may have for a time. Here's the other part about judgment that I think is very applicable to us. Jesus has never called us to sit on his throne of justice. (laughs) He's called us instead to forgive those and to turn the other cheek. 
He, he, to follow his example of forgiveness, if we understand the second, of, second coming of Jesus, we see that Jesus is the righteous judge, not us. And, and, and we're called to forgive those who have wronged us. But how, but how often do we do that? When we are wrong, we tend to run to the judgment seat and claim our innocence and our right to judge. But the second coming of Jesus should give us uh, cause to leave judgment in his hands. Here's our problem with being a judge. We all make poor judges because we are all a little bit unbiased. We're, we're biased. We're just are totally biased. We're not meant to be on the throne. It's too big for us, and it'll poison us. We are called to forgive and to make peace with people who have wronged us, to turn to the other cheek and to forgive. Here's the third thing about judgment. As I said, he's going to judge the living and the dead, and he's going to judge everyone. Jesus became the sacrifice that we desperately needed. In the book of Revelation, it's very interesting it's a difficult book to understand. But it's very interesting because he uses a lot of signs, symbolism. It's apoc apocalyptic literature, which is very difficult and, uh, to understand. In Revelation, John looks to the throne at one point. And you expect, to, when you look to the throne, you're supposed to see a king, right? A ruler, Even essentially, in the book of Revelation, you expect to see Jesus sitting on his throne, right? king and ruler, Jesus sitting on the throne. But John says this very interesting. What does he say? In Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, he says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. So John says, I looked to the throne, and what did I see? Not a king, not a judge, but a lamb. Well, that's very interesting. What is John saying there? John is saying the one who should be performing and giving his judgment is the one who became the lamb who takes the judgment. The one who should be giving out the punishment is taking the punishment. Because it doesn't just say the lamb, it says the lamb who had been slain. Do you see what's going on here? The judge has become the lamb. Instead of a king, John sees the lamb. Jesus is our judge, but he has taken our judgment. Jesus it became for us, as John the Baptist said, very early in Jesus' ministry, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I want to ask you a question. Do you know Jesus as your lamb of God? Has he taken away your sins? Are you under the blood of the lamb? If you're not, Judgment is coming. This is what the second com coming of Jesus means. That judgment is coming on the living and the dead, and we are either going to be living or dead, and we are either going to be in Christ or not in Christ. We are either going to be under the blood of the Lamb or we're not going to be under the, lamb of, uh, 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 the blood of the Lamb. 
And that's really what it comes down to. So has there ever been a moment in your life or a time where you realized you're a sinner, you can't save yourself, and it doesn't matter what religion you were born into, religion will never save you, and you came to a place where you realized, I'm lost and I need a Savior, and I realized God sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus willingly got off of his throne, came to earth, and lived the life I should have lived, died the death I should have died, and climbed up on a cross and gave his life for me and became the lamb, the sacrifice that I needed for my sins, that he took my place, that he gave his life so that I could live, that he took, the, 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 he, he, he kept the law that I broke, that the judge will forgive me because he died for me. Have you ever, as Jesus gave his life to you, have you ever given your life to him? That's how you step across the line. It could be in a moment. It could be today. It could be right now. And, and the Bible says today is the day. Not tomorrow, not next week. Not I hope he doesn't return in a year. You cannot be ready if you don't know Jesus. You aren't ready. Some Christians are praying that God would delay because they have friends and neighbors and people they love, family members, people they care about that don't know Jesus. And they know what it means that when Jesus comes back, it's too late. And that's why we as a church, our mission is to help as many people as possible come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Do you know him? Are you ready? The first step in being ready for the second coming of Jesus is to know Jesus. The second step is to be busy and be focused on living your life for him on a day-to-day basis. So I, I, I put this in your notes because I thought it was so good. It's the... Question 52 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So the Protestant church many times would have, and the Catholic church does it too, they have what they call catechisms. I went to catechism when I was a, 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 a little boy, a younger boy. And um, they would do it. Many of them were formatted in a sense of they would ask a question, they would give an answer. And that's the format here. Let me read it to you because I think it really solidifies and summarizes what we've been talking about. What comfort is it to you that Christ shall come again to judge the living and the dead? Answer, that in all afflictions and persecutions with uplifted head, I may wait for the judge from heaven who has already offered himself to the judgment of God for me and has taken away from me all curse. Isn't that good? I mean, doesn't that resonate in your soul, in your spirit? You know, notice how it has nothing to do with setting the time or the date, but it's all about knowing who Jesus is and being ready for him. You get that? There's a lot of views of the second coming of Jesus. And a lot of it's going to be wrong, but the one thing that you can take from this is if you understand that Jesus is coming again, that he's going to judge the world once and for all, and that you need to be ready for that. 
And it may mean that you need to cross that line of faith and call upon Jesus and ask him. You say, Jesus, you gave your life to me. Now I give my life to you. And you begin a journey with Jesus. And, and after you, as you begin this journey with Jesus, you say, I'm not gonna be, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be kind of, you know, there's going to be those, you know. But for the best of my ability, I'm, I'm living my life for him. I'm using my time and my talent and my treasure for him for his glory, for his kingdom. I'm living my life for him. And I'm ready when he comes back at any moment. If you walk away with that, you are on track with what the Bible teaches. Everything else is speculation. Let me tell you where we're going to go next weekend. Next weekend, we're going to talk about how do you get ahead in his kingdom? You know, you, you, you work at jobs and you say, well, how do I get ahead here? How do I, here's the question, how do you get ahead in his kingdom? We're going to talk about that next weekend. Let me pray with you. Father, help us to uh, take what we've heard and help us to apply it to our lives in the way it needs to be applied. Help us it to make a difference in our lives today, tomorrow, and forever. We ask this all in Jesus' name.